gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back. It is Thursday, July 7th. Again, hopefully you all had a nice, uh, well, wait a minute. We did do the Monday show. Never mind. Hopefully you had a nice Tuesday and Wednesday. Here we are ready to talk to you for the next 60 sec, uh, 45 minutes. It's going to be a shorter show today, uh, but it'll still be great because we got Cub Swanson on deck. He will be joining us. We'll talk about his Hall of Fame induction uh, this past uh, week at International Fight Week, his fight with Du Hu Choi got inducted into the fight wing. I think it was uh, an outstanding choice because I remember being on the edge of my seat for that fight. So we'll talk to uh, that OG friend of ours that we've covered for a long time that we sponsored at one point. That's why you hear us kind of a sound less traditional sometimes than other journalists because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were fanboys, man. And we were trying to get in the game, but we actually sponsored Cub Swanson for three fights. Anyway, we'll take that little uh, road back uh, to memory lane with him, and then we'll talk about the latest news. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Thursday, July 7th. Goes, I still feel like what people are talking about from UFC 276 is still Israel Adesanya and his performance against Jared Cannonier. Now I've heard, you know, people's different takes from the sport. People that I uh, respect, DC, Chel Sonnen, other shows, other journalists that we've talked to. And uh, I think it's something that you actually addressed. Izzy was Izzy kind of sold us something that didn't happen, and he should be man enough to take that criticism and just move on because no one's saying he sucks. He definitely doesn't suck. It does take two to tango, but Jared wasn't also the. I mean, Jared, I guess when pressed, would say, "Hey, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to become a world champ, or I'm going to knock him out." But Izzy, I think, painted a little bit more of what the future might hold and the greatness that was to follow and. And rightfully so. He's probably going to get, you know, three questions for every one that Cannoneer gets. And that's why people were walking out. That's why Hollywood actors have been critical. You know, what's this guy's name? Chris Pratt. Did you hear what he said? Is that, is that his name? I, I didn't hear what Chris Pratt said. What, what yeah. did he say? Basically around the same thing. Kind of like you told us this was going to happen and it didn't happen. I'm going to go back and check and make sure because these new Hollywood super hunks, I don't know all their names. And sometimes I'll mix up the first name, last name. and but I think that I think that's who it was. It is great to see uh, Max Crosby and you know Tom Brady and different athletes and entertainers at our fights. Don't get me wrong, but guess what? Um, you know they they're at the top of their game too. So sometimes you can make the comparisons of you know uh, a movie that can take a dump and suck, and then some movies that are that are great too. They they're in that line of criticism as well, that, that line of fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't have a problem with the way he fought. I honestly don't. Um, if anything, I think criticism could go Jared Kennedy's way, right? He talked about being aggressive and what he was going to do. I felt like he fell more short than Izzy did. 
But the problem is Izzy and his mouth, things don't match what happens in the cage. That's where he puts himself in trouble. So um, it's funny. I can't, I can't believe Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt's kind of a jokester. So I don't know how serious he is when he says things like that. But, uh, man, it's got to suck. You know, I mean, I, I put myself in Adesanya's shoes. And to hear that type of criticism when you have a, a tough fighter like Jared Kennedy in front of you, um, it's got to hurt. But you also have to realize that probably if you don't say the things you say, people wouldn't be so quick to to say those things back, right? Right. And right now, because as we were talking, I wanted to make sure about what I was saying. It was Chris Pratt from the Marvel series, I guess, but Guardians of the Galaxy, Jurassic World. And this is what he said. He said, I'm going to say this as humbly as I can. I've never stepped into an octagon. I don't know this game. I'm just an actor. I'm not a, but I'm not a fan, man. Meaning, not that he's not a fan of the UFC. He's just not a fan of what he witnessed at UFC 276. Okay. And um, so he says, I'm not a fan of coming out like all that talk and then just kind of putting on a little bit of a pitter patter. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. You got to cash on that promise of being so badass. Because that's not inaccurate, man. I mean, he is and a human being, put the actor thing aside or whatever, at that moment he's a human being, he's a fight fan who was there, and that's why some of those people walk out. That's not because they didn't know the game or anything, but you are kind of being sold on something, and it kind of just wasn't there. Now, Izzy had shown his dominance. Yes, the threat of the KO is there at all times with Cannoneer. He's like Robbie Lawler. His hands are just heavy. And so even just a wild hook can catch you on the on the right on the tip of your chin and that might be the button the you know the, the never defined button the button can be up here down here down here right on the chin whatever i mean Seth Petruzzelli just went to, to Kimbo Slice i seen Kimbo Slice say come on hit me right here and guys would steal on his jaw and they still couldn't put him down and Seth Petruzzelli just kind of went tap and he went down anyway but he was showing his dominance and I felt like, yeah, there could have been a little bit more engagement. I can appreciate the dominance, and I can appreciate the skill and also avoiding the other guy's strength, but I also understand what Chris Pratt was saying. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, we just got to hope Israel Adesanya doesn't do a movie, otherwise he's going to say, remember, I can do what you do. You can't do what I do. So <laughs> he'll spread his wings into the movie world as well, which is very possible, but... But yeah, I get it. I, um, you know, that, that's happened a lot with a lot of uh, high-profile combat sports athletes. They've had these moments, but um, you know, fortunately, Israel's had worse moments than this. But uh, you just gotta. You, I don't know that it's gonna get any better, George. That division's really tough, man. The guys he, he's faced, if you look at their records, they don't really get KO'd that often. They don't really get stopped that often. So uh, it's a difficult task. And now he's got to face the guy that knocked him out. So who knows how if it's going to get any better or any worse for, for Israel. But he's got to get thicker skin, I think. Yeah, that's all it is. Is, is There's always going to be criticism. And like Kevin Lee once said, if you ain't got haters, you ain't popping. And there was so much truth to that. So haters went the worst. Because what it means is for every hater, you probably have about 100 fans. So if 100 haters came out of the woodwork after your last fight, 
then guess what? You just probably added 10,000 fans. Math geeks, don't check me on my math. I think I'm right. But um, he tweeted back, goes, Israel Adesanya. He said, um, quote, good morning. I'm the man. You're just some fan. But I guess that was a clip from Pratt's 2008 movie, Wanted. So it was kind of like a... It was a nice thing using his own line, maybe. Who knows? I, I've never seen some of these movies. I, I don't know what's I going on. I've never even heard of that movie, so maybe this is where Chris Pratt gets his. I've never even fucking heard of that movie, so who knows? Yeah, there might be a lot of pop culture geeks going, ooh, he went there, he got him, Mike Drell. You know, I, I wouldn't know, because I know Israel out of sign. I, and I've heard of Chris Pratt, and I've probably seen some of his movies, but I don't know. But it, it's funny, because you know, Chael had a similar take to you, and I think it was just this is what was sold, and was you know, was it really delivered? No. But here's the thing: goes. I also think that Anderson Silva is this huge shadow of a man that will always loom over Israel Adesanya. Now, if Israel Adesanya keeps winning, he's gonna bust through that. You know, kind of like that football team that runs through the the poster paper that the cheerleaders are holding. It's inevitable. But I think Izzy thinks he's already done it because, A, he beat Anderson Silva. He's only got the one loss. Anderson retired with probably 10 losses. But at his greatest, I remember Anderson Silva was 33-4 and four at one point before Weidman clipped him, somewhere like that. And we all remember that that was the apex of his career. And so that's what we kind of compare him to, you know, uh, you know, not, not the leg kicks from Cannoneer or whatever that he succumbed to. Um, I think Israel needs to understand that a little bit. Could be some maturi- maturity that still hasn't come there, and you get it. That as you get older, you'll look back and go, what was I doing? What was I thinking? What was I saying? Because, you know, it, it's a process. It, it, it really is. And it, it could be, I've you know, I'm not the first one to. This isn't an original content feature here coming from GG, but – Younger generations are always a little bit softer than the older generations, but usually they're a little smarter too. And um, but I, I just feel like when it comes to criticism, yeah, a lot of people I've noticed as we've covered the sport for 15 years now. Man, some of the newer the newer fighters, I don't know if they would have survived back 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 in the day. I doubt it. No way. I, I'm. A, it's so tough, man, because social media, man, it's just right there. Like people's opinions back in the day, like you read a newspaper, you put it down, you don't hear anything until you hear, you know, you watch ESPN at night or something like that. It's literally just all and it, and all these fighters that say they don't read it or they don't listen to it, they're all a lie. Trust me, they're listening to it, they're reading it. And if they're not, someone's someone's texting it to them, telling them you'll never guess what somebody said about you or whatever. It's gotta add up, man. There's things that like even if you know you did it. If somebody goes the opposite way, it still bothers you. Like it's the weirdest thing. But yeah, this dude, he's just got to calm down, man. Uh, he's got to destroy that that division, build a legacy in that division, and people are going to shut up. You know, after a while, they're just going to forget about that stuff. We all kind of talk about GSP and how some of his fights were a little boring, but that's like ten percent of what you're talking about when you're talking about GSP's greatness. You forget about that. Instead, you're talking about the title defenses. You're talking about what he did. Um, Israel needs to focus on that. Right, but GSP was always a good guy and classy about it, whereas Izzy isn't taking it 
the the right way, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, what 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 you know? I, I guess time will just tell. This next fighter, he'll be forced to strike with um, again on a technical level. But I think with his experience and the lack of inexperience, Alex Pajeda is only six and one. Israel Adesanya thinks twenty three and one. So that's almost almost four times the amount of experience. I think Israel Adesanya at some point, if he wins the fight, it'll be later in the fight when he can maybe use all the different tools at his at his disposal. But um, you know, early on he'll have to watch for for Pajeda's power. You know, I, I don't know Pajeda hasn't gone 25 minutes in MMA. That's a whole other different animal. We'll see. I, I will always remember the Izzy that came into our studio in December of 2017. Very, very nice fella. I still think there's a lot of things that he says that crack me up. I think he's, his social media game's pretty tight. His channel's great. He loves the sport. He loves his teammates and his gym. I respect the hell out of that. But there's just a few things that I think he has to understand about Sports in general and being an elite, you know, at your craft is some people are just going to come after you because they, they you get compared to the others, you know. And, and I still feel like Anderson Silva is just, like I say, this huge, huge shadow that you'll get compared to until one day you eclipse him, and that'll be that, you know. Uh, Tyron Woodley wanted to say, oh, I'm the greatest uh, when he was trying to compare himself to GSP, he had made it to four title defenses. And, yeah, he had – these are more well-rounded fighters now. I'm sure it, that always happens. But, you know, then Kamar Usman takes him out. Then now Kamar Usman's on his fifth title defense, and he's saying the same thing. But it you'll appreciate – let me put it to you this way. Kamar Usman will appreciate it more that people still defend GSP as the greatest welterweight of all time because Kamar Usman more than likely can get to that seventh, eighth title defense. By then, the comparisons will be will have them even, or maybe he'll be the greater one. But guess what? He goes one day there's going to be a, a welterweight that comes through, maybe even undefeated. He's only on the second title defense. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and that guy's going to say, "I'm even greater than Kamar Usman." And guess what? We're going to defend Kamar Usman. It's just a process. That's how it goes. Pretty much, yeah. All right, I think right now is a good time to. Uh, Turn the corner here and talk to our guest, Cub Swanson, ready to go. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's in the class of 2022 along with Daniel Cormier and Duhu Choi and Habib Nurmagomedov. Uh, we've covered him for a long time, like I said earlier. It's always a pleasure to talk to our friend, Killer Cub. What's going on, Junkie Nation? We hunted them down. The latest member of the Ultimate Fighting Championships Hall of Fame. It's Killer Cub Swanson, former WEC stud. And the last 12 years or so, he has now been a member of the UFC's featherweight division. What's going on, Cub? How are you? And congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. I'm doing great. Uh, I feel motivated. You know, I'm in the gym. Like, all right, let's get to work. Yeah. You know, I brought up WEC because that's when we met you. But WC was only a three-year run. It's hard to believe they're so far down in the history books. Much respect to the WEC. There's not many of you guys left. But the UFC's part, been part of your life for a dozen years. And I remember back then, 
We didn't even talk about stuff like that because they didn't have the lighter weight divisions. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I, I literally thought that I was in the in the UFC as long as I was in the WC. When I did the math, I was like, wow, I was I was in the WC for like three and a half, almost four years. And then in the UFC over 10 years, I was like, this is, I think, like 11 years. I was like, that's crazy uh, how time just kind of plays tricks on you. But WC uh, still has my heart. I was even shocked to see you were 38. If somebody would have said, hey, how old is he? I would have said, hey, he's 34, you know, whatever. But you're 38, man. You were a young dude. You were a young dude when we met you. Like, you know, like almost a guy straight out of college when you were doing this. Yeah, well, so I turned pro when I was 20, and I got in the big show in the WC when I was 23. So mm. it's been it's been quite a journey, you know. I'm, you know, I'm getting closer to 40. So what what I just tell people is like my pro career. I'm on this. I'm like six uh, six months behind LeBron James. So when people are all saying how long he's been doing it, I'm like I'm on almost that same timeline. Yeah. Well, again, man. Seeing you up on that stage was amazing, and the passion that poured out, the emotion that poured out, I don't even think I have to ask you what it meant to you, because you could tell it meant the world to you. Your family was front row, and you got a chance to, you know, kind of take us through a road or down a road, you know, culminating, of course, you know, I got to bring him up, man. Kami, you know, you gave him a nice shout out, because he was, was a lot to you, your best friend. A lot of people don't even know it. He was your best man at the wedding, and I, he, he was a lot, you know, not just the manager coach, but he was a lot to you. So you nailed it, man. It was great. And congrats to Duho Choi as well. How often do you watch this scrap, by the way? Maybe once a year? Have you kind of came up with a tradition? Maybe before you carve the turkey, you just say, I'll be back in 30 minutes. Treat yourself to watching that fight. Uh, well, first of all, thank you about about Kami. It, it was very difficult to to get out. Uh, I wish I could have even said it a little better than I, uh, I I did. I wish, but I just I was getting choked up. It was hard to you know his um, his two year old son was there and his fiance and and um, they were getting all emotional. So I mean, it was a great moment. Um, just wanted to make sure that people knew the story um, the, of him helping me out. Um, <clears throat> And then, um, what what was the the main question? Oh well, how, how um, it felt. Yeah, how it uh, felt, and then maybe, like I said, how often do you watch the fight? I feel like oh, this should yeah, be a year. Often, uh, yeah, people send me the highlights. They tag me in it a lot, so I'll get to watch the highlights. But um, watching the whole fight not too often. Um, it was kind of funny. One night, I was trying to like think about the speech and what I was going to say, and. Um, me and my wife were laying in bed, you know, we watch a movie or whatever, you know, show before we go to bed. And I, and I put on the fight and she was like, no, no, I don't want, I don't want to watch this right now. And I was like, come on, we got to watch it. And she was like, it makes me nervous. It brings up memories and I get all tense and I'm trying to go to bed. And I was like, yeah, you got to watch it with me. Cause I, I need to, I need to, you know, really get in that mindset or, uh, you know, so I could write this speech. So we sat and we watched it and, uh, yeah, it was like, man, I forget how crazy it was. Is there anything you saw that last time when you watched it with Kenda where you were like, oh, man, I, I forgot that happened or didn't even realize that it happened? Um, no, it, it was more of like, 
just remembering all like the backstory, you know, because I had to like check in with Greg. I, I called, it was funny. It was like, I was in that 12 step program. I was calling a bunch of people and personally thanking them um, before I thanked them um, in my speech. So um, just having all those memories, I was able to um, remember that Greg, that was a huge thing. Greg called me during my, my shakeout the morning of the fight. And he's like, Cub, I don't think I'm going to make it because there was a fight in Buffalo, New York the night before. And so a bunch of coaches went there and they were planning to go to Toronto the next day. And there was like crazy weather and he was stuck and I didn't think he was coming. So I was already nervous because it was a big fight and, you know, I was an underdog and, and I needed to win. And um, then he's like, I'm, you know, your head coach is like, I don't think I'm going to be there the morning of the fight. You're like, geez, come on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I just remember all those little backstories and it, it just kind of, it, it was cool to see how everything worked out and, and just like what an honor it was to be able to have one of the greatest nights of your life, arguably your best performance you ever had, it, like in front of the biggest crowd, it was like almost 21,000 people. And then I can watch it and, and, you know, relive that anytime I want. Yeah. What about the jacket and the trophy? Is there going to be a special place for it? How often are you going to rock the jacket? You know, again, man, once a year, so you got to wear it. We all wish we had one, so at least do it for us. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, it's such a nice jacket. Apparently, it's the same uh, shop that makes the NFL ones and the NBA ones for their Hall of Fame. So, I mean, it, it's pretty beautiful, but I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to be able to wear this out? So. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll be bringing us out for events and we'll get to yeah. rock it. But yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of detail. All the buttons say Hall of Fame. It has my name on the inside. It's it's pretty sweet. Um, and then the trophy, uh, it's it's in my garage right now. I have my little workout area in there. And, you know, like I said, I never fought for a title, but uh, I have a fight of the year trophy and a Hall of Fame trophy. Like those are the the only um awards you know that i got to win in the sport besides like a fight of the night and performance bonuses so i think it's pretty it's pretty fitting to to the way i always wanted to be as a fighter you know i i used to appreciate not the champions really but the the guys that that had the best highlight videos they used to pump me up for training sessions so and i'll tell you one of the the most amazing things was seeing big noguera uh, around the PI and then at the event and he just kept coming up to me and talking to me about my career and saying I was a real fighter and I just was like like stop like I almost wanted to tell him like please that like, these these compliments are undeserving you know it's like it's like such a huge honor to see somebody that you just admired and then and then trying to give you the same respect like like man that's just it, it just puts things into perspective of what I've accomplished that's amazing and yeah, as, I, as as you were talking, I was thinking. I guess you can wear it to the future Hall of Fame ceremonies because that's what the guys do in the NFL. You're in a fraternity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of people that reached the apex of the sport, and so it, it should be commemorated. And uh, so I, I I tend to pick off of what I see in other sports. And the NFL tradition is, you know, you see all the guys with the yellow jackets. People think they work for Hertz or. Century 21, but no, they're Hall of Famers that are in the back, and they're, you know, they're rubbing elbows with the, with the others that, that did great stuff, and that's what Big Nog was doing, except you guys weren't wearing the jackets, and you talked yeah. about awards, um, 
I know you don't like to put anyone down, and I know you felt like, oh, man, these were the only two. But look back at your career, man. You did some great stuff, and there's two big wins there, two guys that did win belts, you know, that you beat. So you know you were at that level. It's just the sport goes in different directions, and anything can happen. And so maybe you you, you, you didn't get to wear gold like them, but you got to be proud of Oliveira and Poirier's wins. And I saw that picture of you and Poirier. It looks like you guys are cooler than ever. So, yeah, man, be proud of all of it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I really am proud of it. And, uh, you know, the whole belt thing is something that, you know, the it's like when people go, oh, you're going to go into the Hall of Fame again for, for your career. And I'm always like, I don't know. Uh, I really can't call that. It's kind of hard to say that, that that's going to happen because usually it's guys that are, you know, longtime champions or double champions. And like I said, I never fought for a title, but I didn't really feel like that was my fault. I felt like, uh, you know, there, there's other reasons for that. Uh, I was right there for a long time. And uh, my goal has always been putting on exciting fights. And um, I, I really hope that there's some kind of a, a WEC wing uh, in the Hall of Fame at some point. Uh, that would be cool. We just had this conversation about there possibly being a strike force wing, a WEC wing, something like that. Because you're right, there are certain people that help make the sport move forward, and they deserve to be recognized for it. But what I wanted to ask you was, that night when you went into the Hall of Fame, two people went into the Hall of Fame. And I want to ask you, would it be different for you if you are, sorry, that's my dog, he's going crazy. Um, if you were on the other side of that fight where you lost the fight, would it have felt any different for you? Or would you still have been proud to be a part of going into the Hall of Fame? I mean, I I think that I, I would be proud, but obviously when you win the matchup, it, it's a little bit, uh, it feels a little bit better. So um, yeah, I definitely feel like it wouldn't have felt as nice, um, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that I was the winner of that fight, and it, it definitely meant a lot to me because it's just been such a great night for me. If they talked to you, there was almost like a little commission of everybody that's been in for their fight. Who would you nominate as the next fight to go into the Hall of Fame? I think a girls' fight deserves to be in there, and I think uh, Joanna uh, against uh, Whaley was the first one was such an incredible fight. Um, I think that one deserves to be in there. Uh, there's there's a bunch of, you know, great fights. Uh, I think uh, Poirier and Gagey have had some great fights in the UFC. Uh, but, yeah, definitely the, the girls' fight, I think, would be the, the next one I'd pick. Damn, that was a good one. That was a good one, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny because you've heard of the Heisman Trophy, right, Cub? Yeah. College football? The uh, well, I'm not sure because a lot of fighters are like other sports. What are those? Uh, <laughs> but I know you golf, and I know you played other sports, soccer as well. Um, in if you win the Heisman Trophy, you get a vote on all of the following Heisman trophies, so long as you live, you know. So yeah. I really liked goes this question, and you 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 knocked it out of the park. That would be an excellent one, especially with Joanna uh, now retiring. You know, you probably would want to space her. You know, Dana White's already saying she's going in uh, as a fighter. You know, world champion, five title defenses. You know, no one's going to argue that one. Uh, so they may separate the two. I don't know which one will go in first, but probably she'll go in first. But, yeah, that, that was a good one. And I thought you were going to say Gaethje Chandler because I know that one will go in one day. But it's so recent. But thanks yeah. for bringing up 
Gaethje, Poirier, that was a war. Um, um, what about Calvin Gaslam, uh, Arasanya? Ooh, right too. Yeah, it was just insane. You know, uh, like I said, there's so many good ones to really track, but uh, yeah, I just I felt like the, the you know with Joanna just retiring and and that fight was just. That's one. Of, I think that's the greatest women's fight in in UFC history, in my opinion. Um, and, and so, yeah. How about Bigfoot and Hunt? You guys remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was in Man. Australia. Yeah, that was a wild one. I I loved Mark Hunt, you know, especially from the Pride days, and uh, yeah, I, I like all the old school guys. Yeah, if you weren't a fighter, I'd say you know he's got a brother named Mike. But anyway, um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> How about Faber? Did you run into Faber since we talked and we threw it out in the atmosphere? Faber was warm to it. You, of course, are warm to it. And I'm just wondering why it hasn't happened. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, when both parties are in, you know, I, I keep thinking, ah, oh, it's just a matter of time. Maybe someone's healing up a, an injury or or something. Someone's got an important life event going on. And, but... I, now that you were in town for a few weeks, did you run into him? Has this been brought up? What's the latest on that? Yeah, it was funny. We ran into, into each other at the lobby of the Red Rock, and his kids started playing with my kid, and, and uh, it was super cute. And um, we were just chatting, and we were like, yeah, you know, let's, you know, we could do it anytime. Um, in the beginning, he was wanting me to drop the 35, and I didn't know if that was possible. And um, I, the, we, I think we can make it work. The thing is, I, I think the fight should be in California in, a, in an arena, um, at the mm -hmm. very least Vegas. Um, but I think California, you know, especially if I can get the fight into Palm Springs, that's where I would want the fight to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's no rush because um, uh, I'm still active. Um, but, and when I brought it up to the UFC, they kind of brushed it off because they don't he hasn't been too active, obviously. Um, and, and so I think that if the right opportunity presented itself, then both of us really pushing it, it'll happen. Yeah, I was just thinking Faber's going to push for Sacramento, but I guess one way here, here I'm giving away negotiating tactics is, oh, all right, I'll go to 35, but then we got to go to Palm Springs. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that could work. Give and take. Is that arena? Is that arena up and going? I know we've talked about it for a long time, but is it up and going? Not yet. It's uh, it's almost done. I, I think, I think November it's going to be done. It, it, they they've been building it pretty fast because they were supposed to be done in August. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I feel like we've been talking about this for years. But I was going to say they're still not done. But you're saying it's going up fast. Yeah, I mean it's like a year and a half for a whole. You know, uh, mm. I think it's like twelve thousand people. So it, it, you know, I feel like especially during this time. You know, they, they had a bunch of hiccups, and, uh, yeah. I think Maybe that was it. Quickly. I think it was probably that, the pandemic. And, of course, we probably started talking about it in anticipation of even the first shovel, you know, the, the yeah. commemorative shovel happening. So, all right, that's cool. All right, goes. you want to fire back. What you got for Cub? Well, you know, one of the things that George had mentioned was some of your bigger wins over former champions. A guy like Oliveira that's been on such a run, what is the secret sauce? I know that it's different for every fighter, but uh, taking yourself out of the equation and what you did that night, looking at him now and how much he's evolved, what do you think fighters are missing? What needs to happen to catch this guy? I mean, he, I think he always had the tools. He, he was 
very dangerous. It was hard to, to train for him, but I think he just finally stopped giving up too much of himself on the scale at 45. And then I think he just started really believing himself. Um, I think he always carried a little bit of doubt and something switched and, and, you know, uh, you see it in Poirier the first time he fought Connor. Um, he, he wasn't, you know, he was kind of blinded by the lights. And then after a little bit more experience and growing up in this, you know, crazy environment, you become tougher and tougher and tougher. And you see these guys start shining in the big moments. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm proud to have fought both of those guys and, and, and see their success because, you know, once you have wars like that with these guys, you, you know, you wish nothing but success for them. And, and it's pretty cool to see both of them succeeding. Cub, do you have an Amazon wish list? An Amazon wish list? Yeah, if you go on Amazon, you can make a list of things like when it's your birthday and people can look and see. But what yeah, I'm getting yeah. at is I went on mine yesterday and I hadn't looked at it for a while. And half of that stuff, I went, what was I thinking? This is stupid. The last time we asked you for your wish list, George mentioned it, Uriah Favor, but things change. Is there anything new on your Cub Swanson wish list if they were to ask you, how would you like to end this career here? the next couple of years, what do you foresee? What kind of things make you happy? Uh, you know, the, I think the, the Uriah fight would be good for the fans. So, I mean, I, I, I think they'd appreciate that. Uh, I mean, maybe a Jose Aldo fight. Um, but, you know, just, I just want to, I just want to have a few more exciting fights and, uh, you know, until my body feels, you know, like, all right, it's done. Um, and, uh, then, you know, then honestly, my wish list is to be, you know, a jujitsu and soccer dad and, uh, take my kids around and, and, you know, you know, give them more of my time. Uh, I give them a lot of my time now, but I, I know I could give them even more. So, uh, a few more exciting fights and then, you know, giving a lot of attention to my kids. That's my wish list. You know, as we were reading up on, the latest with Cub Swanson, you know, before this interview, I came across uh, an, an article. It seems like Damon Jackson, his wish list has you on it. What's what's all that about? Has it been cleared up or uh, I? It doesn't. It, what he said doesn't strike me as the Cub Swanson I've ever you know known all these years. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So it's you know he was just frustrated because he fought one of my guys, and um, you know he started you know, talking a lot of crap about me. It pissed me off uh, because I'm cordial. You know, I, I'm not trying to, you know, have issues with people, but if people have issues, then then I'll address it. And, uh, you know, when people call me out, I'm always telling Sean, like, I'll fight that guy. It not, it's not a problem. Um, but it's usually him saying that doesn't make sense. So it doesn't bother me, you know. Um, so fans don't usually hear me going back and forth because I, I just don't really like doing that. But with Damon, he fought one of my guys. Uh, my guy took it on short notice. He's a 35er doing 45. Um, and I was trying to, you know, pump up my guy. And I was talking about Damon to my guy. I would never talk to Damon directly. I wasn't speaking to him. I was saying, Damon's tired. He had a hard weight cut. Those are all things that we knew. And I was reminding my guy to keep pushing. And Damon was offended by that somehow. And then me and his coach had some words at the very end because his coach was talking directly to my guy in the first round and the third round. 
which I didn't appreciate. So for whatever the things that he was accusing me of, it was his side that was doing that. So it, it kind of annoyed me because uh, I hate when people bash me for things that I didn't do. Um, but yeah, he can get it whenever. I actually asked Sean for the fight, and he said that that guy's boring. He don't deserve to fight you. So sorry, Damon. I tried. <laughs> All right. Um, well, um, yeah, I guess that's a, a mic drop moment right there. Um, I, I did want to close with this because we talked about it. I was scanning over the Hall of Fame, and there's so many names that are in there that a lot of people have never heard about. And I came across Mask, and I remember you had worn his tap-out shorts. You know, So pretty cool to see some OGs starting to round out the different parts of that UFC Hall of Fame that that uh, deserve it, but it kind of just brought back memories of all them, you know, them nights in the California scene and the early WEC scene, and and uh, I'm sure you knew him better than us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he was always super nice to me. I was actually uh, really close with with Punkass. Uh, he was the one, Dan. Uh, he was the one that kind of brought me in. Um, a lot of the other fighters were really close with Mask, but. Uh, Every time I was around him, he was a super cool dude. Um, you know, he, he was a large man, so he would always grab me and I'd be like, oh, who's that? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he, he was like like me, very passionate about the sport. And, um, you know, I, I I think that was amazing of him to, to, to impact so many fighters' lives and really help people out. And I was able to go to like the tap out warehouse when it was at its biggest and just see like what they built. And I was there you know, when they were selling t-shirts and at my fights in Tijuana on like tables, you know, and, and packing up and doing it all themselves. So I saw them grow from, from nothing to, you know, a multi-million dollar company very fast. So that, that was pretty cool to see and inspiring. I think you told us about that one time you were walking out barefoot to your fight in Tijuana, something happened. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. There was glass on the floor when I was walking out. <laughs> This is weird. The things you think about, I, I was like so concerned about like, if I get to the, to the ring, I don't want to take too much time and take my shoes off. So I just, I'll just walk out there barefoot. And then there was like a bunch of glass. Cause it, we were like in this ghetto arena and I had to jump on my cornerman's back and like walk half the way. So yeah, it's just good times. <laughs> like Joe Stevenson in season two of the ultimate fighter with, who did he get? He got on one of those guys' back. I think Mike Whitehead or someone like that. Was it him or Rashad or somebody? I can't remember. I can't. One remember. was one was Gergel. It was him and Gergel, and they were going. But yeah, I think one of them was uh, Mike Whitehead, and I think the other one might have been. It was, it was the challenge. It was that one challenge, and they had to piggyback each other. Joe's anyway. a psycho, man. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah, I, I had to thank him in my speech because, you know, that, that's a guy that, you know, took me under his wing, showed me the ropes and, you know, taught me how to take care of the guys underneath um, and, and help those guys up. And, and that's been a huge part of my career is like paying it forward. Like my guy yeah. just fought, you know, like he stayed at my house. I took care of him. You know, whenever I have guys with me, uh, I would feed them and, and um, you know, make sure like. Hey, as long as you give me a hundred percent effort, I'm gonna, you know, make sure that you're fed and that you have a place to stay and all that stuff. So, um, and then those guys take guys under their wing, and it, yeah, you, know, you pay them forward. It's pretty cool. Exactly. I've, I've heard Chael Sonnen say the same thing, man. 
reach down and pull someone up because someone did it to you on the way, uh, on your way, you know? And I, I do criticize fighters for being selfish. Uh, you say fighters, plural, it almost makes it sound like all of them. No, not all of them, because there's a lot of good ones. Um, and I'm glad that you said that about Joe, and we've always felt the same way about you. So I, I, I don't need to paint with a brush uh, like that because there's a lot, a lot of good fighters that do do stuff like that, man. I've heard those stories of fighters needing a place to crash or whatever. DC was telling about the story with, with the Cook family. You know, and him spilling Carl's Jr. all over the place, apparently. But, um, yeah, good stuff, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Cub. Congrats on being uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was one hell of a fight, and you've had one hell of a career. Thank you, guys. I, You know, I always appreciate you guys. You guys know me since I was a nobody uh, to, to most of the fans. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, it's always fun to, to catch up with you guys and, and see the progression we've all made. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the interview. And you guys could hit me up anytime. And uh, hopefully it's next time we talk, it's about good news and a fight coming up. So I'm, I'm in the gym. I'm waiting to go in right now. I'm getting ready. I don't know what I got next, but uh, it'll be something. I'm motivated. All right. Cool. Well, we'll let you go. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon, Cub. There you go. Um, well, first of all, a lot of takes from that interview, but. I still want to see him versus Uriah Faber. I wish they could just agree on 140 pounds. I don't want him to go all the way down to 135. I don't think it's necessary. Um, I met them both as featherweights when Uriah Faber was the champion at the WEC in the featherweight division. That's where Cubs competed all of his life. Yes, Uriah Faber was able to get down to 135 pounds. He was a title contender there. He's had a Hall of Fame career. He deserves to be there as well. But for the purposes of making this fight, I, I don't see how it hurts anybody with both of them kind of being out of title contention to just say, hey, let's play it safe and meet at 145 pounds. Similar to like what we're seeing some of these welterweights do, Jim Miller and Cowboy Cerrone. Nobody insisted that it ha had to happen at 155. They both went out there and had a good fight. Yeah, I mean, they're the they're in the position in their careers where they could dictate things like that. You know, neither guy is really talking about fighting for titles or anything like that. So why not? Yeah. I would like to see it in that new Palm Springs arena. At least Ontario, uh, maybe. That's a, that's a bad thing for a while, man. I, it seems like you've been talking about it for five years. Maybe it was just, hey, they're going to start building in two years. I, I don't know what it was, but it's like the pyramids got built quicker. <laughs> yeah. He's saying that it was only a year and a half, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But I feel like we've been talking about it for a while now. About Maybe it was back then, like I say, the arena that's, that's headed our way, the – City Council just voted it, you know, but here I thought they were already building it. I guess they haven't. Anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And thank you to all of you that, by the way, you share those clips and stuff that come out of the recaps. Um, we see them, and we try and retweet what you say. So good stuff. What did you think of uh, Francis Ngannou? He kind of came to the rescue there of Izzy telling John Jones, hey, back off. This guy's defending. You're just yapping. But then Jones had an interesting comeback. He said, I could take the next two two years off, and you you guys still wouldn't be at where I'm at. You know, it. it for example, Kamaro's got the five title defenses, and Ganu's got one. So we're going to use Kamaro is the, the person we can put up against John Jones. He might be right. It would be, get, it would be tough to get the six 
more title defenses and reached John Jones as 11, who he's tied with, with Demetrius Johnson. It's tough to fight three times in one year, two years in a row. His comeback was interesting. John Jones has turned a corner as far as the things he says on social media. He used to try and overpower people and just say a lot of stuff, but you could poke a lot of holes in it. Now he's keeping it nice and tight, and he's poking the bear every now and again, but he doesn't spend the whole time in there. And I think that's pretty interesting that, I mean, dare I say it, he might be maturing. I don't know. But you're right. That was a little bit of a, a good comeback. And, I mean, the dude has the credit report to back it up, right? A lot of people consider him the greatest fighter of all time, right? So I think that's what he needs to do to kind of stay relevant right now. And hopefully we get to see him back in the cage and and he can add on to this ginormous legacy that he's going to leave behind in mixed martial arts. But it's kind of right. Yeah. Three more things and then we'll get out of here. They'll be quick. Darren Till is out of his fight at UFC Fight Night 208 in London. He was supposed to fight Jack the Joker Hermanson. Last night I saw Chris Curtis tweet a picture of a Joker or something like that and him kind of giving a hint, which we all kind of had an idea of what it was. It sounds like he'll be stepping in to fight Joker Hermanson or is he just making – he's lobbying lobbying himself to, to get in there? But, goof, man. Granted, he just prepared for Rodolfo Rivera because Hermanson's got a really, really good, good uh, ground game. But Hermanson's more experienced than Rivera. And not to say Chris Curtis isn't experienced because he's got a lot of fights too. But he's made a living out of being able to grab these quick wins at middleweight and still not even have to cut to welterweight where we think he belongs. Is he rolling the dice goes here? I mean, this fight's not too far away. He's got to travel across the pond. Has he even allowed himself to decompress from the Vieira fight? I think this is right in his wheelhouse. You know, why not? I honestly don't even know what Chris Curtis likes to do in his spare time or what he does because literally all I ever see of him is in the gym preparing for fights. So I, I think it's right down his wheelhouse. I think he's making some some good paychecks along the way. He's becoming kind of a cult cult hero here. So, yeah, why not, man? Why not do it? Well, if he can win this fight, he'll now be 5-0 and at middleweight which is amazing. This is a guy that's retired three times um, like in the last three and a half years. And, I, you know, he keeps coming back. We're cheering for him. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm just saying like how quick he could have just been on his way to something else. But anyway, let's finish with a few more things here. Uh, did you see the salaries goes that PFL pays? Did you see the, I guess that commission in Georgia uh, they release them to the public, you know, which is what they used to do in most states. And then all of a sudden, everyone got, went private on this shit again. That's wow. amazing. Like, I'm wearing a hat right now. I'm going to take it off to the PFL. Some of those salaries are like, <laughs> like, wow, you guys really, really put your money where your mouths are or whatever. And the question is, can they get a return off of that, right? I mean, think about, did you see Kayla Harrison, what she's making? Come on, man. That's insane, dude. That is a lot. I thought lot. it was going to be more, though. Huh? I thought it was going to be more. You thought it was going to be more? Well, 500000 a fight. I, I thought she was going to make a million per Her fight. fight. That's what I had heard behind the scenes. Dude, I even, I think I even heard two million ones, and I was like, what? But maybe they meant for the whole season or who knows what. Uh, look, that five hundred grand that she made the other night was some of the easiest money ever made. 
I get that part. Um, but that means she must have made about 250 a fight. Then she went on that tour of being a free agent, and I imagine they doubled her pay. Who knows? I, they don't do pay-per-views. Maybe they do bonuses behind the scenes. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. But for some reason, I thought she was a seven-figure fighter. However, Anthony Pettis makes 750000 Dude, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they can sustain this. It reminds me a lot of uh, Affliction. But the PFL has been around for a while now. Um, and they are gaining popularity. I just hope they can sustain it, dude, because it's fun to have Bellator, PFL, one championship, the UFC. It's fun having that competition out there. And BKFC, too. Over here, they write some checks. They just signed Felice Herrick. But, like, Anthony Pettis, by the way, when he got submitted by Stevie Ray, he got 750000 When he won his last uh, – the fight before that, same thing. He just gets 750 flat. There is no 375 to show, 375 to win for a total of 750. He just gets 750. Like, that's freaking – it blew me away, man. I, I'm not saying none of these fighters don't deserve some of these numbers. It's just when you're not used to seeing them, you get blown away. If anyone's cur uh, curious, the article's up on MMA Junkie. You can kind of see the list of what some of these fighters made. Rory McDonald's, 250000 Then things – Things seem to settle down a little bit with like Olivier Mercier, Abbe Mercier, Jeremy Stevens, Natan Schultz. You know, they get the win and the loss, and they're kind of hanging in anywhere from like the 54,000, 38,000, 150,000, that kind of range. It's very, very competitive, though. I bet you PFL in a way is like, oh, shucks. They revealed the salaries. Man, we didn't want anyone to know, but. I I think this elevator is stocking away. Maybe, yeah. I just don't understand uh, what's on the other side of that. So, in other words, when you're negotiating, I don't think Bellator. Let's just say Bellator came a little bit short on Kayla Harrison or Anthony Pettis, right? Were they really like, yeah, we'll dish out six hundred thousand to to Pettis? Like, I don't think they would pay that. It just seems like a lot. Like, I don't understand what was on the other side of that negotiation. I think I know what you're trying to say. That if PFL had just said, "We'll give you five hundred thousand," Pettis would have said, "I'll take it." I think so, right? Because I don't know that another organization, I don't know that another organization's offering that much. Right, I think so too. But he is the Showtime Kick guy. He's the WEC champ, UFC guy. You know, I don't know. We're happy for him. Don't get me wrong. But that is a nice one-two regular season. One point five million. He went one and one, and he's still the number one contender for uh, the playoffs. All right, hey, if you can do it, great. Let's close with this. But if not, I won't hold it against you. What is your Mount Rushmore as of this moment? For men's MMA? All of MMA, yeah. If you, if you can include a female if you want. or GSP, Anderson Silva. I'd like to include a female. But that race is tight, man, at the top. Like, you almost have to see what happens with Amanda Nunes in this next fight before right. you make that decision. But if I can't, then I'll, I'll put Amanda Nunes there. And then my last one, that's where it gets a little dicey, man. No John Jones? Well, you know my feelings on that. Um, well, I thought, I thought your feelings had to do with him being the greatest of all time, but I thought maybe he at least made your Mount Rushmore. No, I mean – Look, if you're gonna tell me that's just a dumb take and you and you know you gotta put it away, then yeah, he absolutely deserves to be there. 
Um, but I just feel like uh, it's just once you do that, that that's it. You're done. Yeah. So, but that would complete it. He, in fact, he would probably be like the second choice at that point. Yeah. I, I started thinking about it the other day when Habib got inducted 29 and 0, three times offense. It just never lost, rarely lost a round. Does he bump someone? And then I still, yeah, I I'm still so. in awe over how great Hoist Gracie was in the first four UFCs. You know, granted, he came upon some losses later on as he got older and, and all that. But at that particular time, he owned the fighting world. It's almost like he caught up. 1,000 years, 2,000 years, however long human beings have been on earth arguing over, well, who would win, the wrestler or the boxer? Or the jiu-jitsu guy or the judo guy or this or the that? And he answered the question, and it was bar none, man. No time limits and no weight classes. That was, frankly, pretty amazing. I'm still in awe of that. I'm, I'm in awe of Khabib just hardly ever losing rounds, much less fights. Anderson Silva was Really something special. Don't hold those last few losses against them. But in that octagon, man, some of the things that he did that I've never seen, seen people do, he has to be talked about. Demetrius Johnson just pulverizing a whole division. And this coming off him being a pretty damn good bantamweight, too. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation for another day. We got to bounce. Thank you, as always, for your support here on the MMA Junkie Radio Show. And uh, new Twitter and Instagram handle for me, I'm at GorgeousGG. MMA and goes still remains at the goes and this is for Twitter and Instagram anyway folks we'll talk to you soon go out there and be a champion take care